God with me. Um, but this is a simple, simple challenge, okay? Um, probably one of the simplest I've ever, I've ever thought of or I've ever been challenged to do myself. Um, but it really struck me something. I was listening to a sermon uh, from Psalm 119. And that's um, a great psalm, isn't it? Um, stuck right there in the middle of your Bible. It's about the Bible. It's got the most verses in the Bible. All about the Bible, all right? And so I think four out of the 176 verses do not contain uh, the word ways or precepts or something about the Word of God. But I think that the, it's made up for it in some other verses, I think, because it's mentioned over 180 times. So, so come a couple of verses have it twice. Uh, but the challenge I have for you is this, and uh, is that I want to challenge you as a church, um, as your pastor, to read Psalm 119. You say, wow, it's 176 verses. Yeah, but it's really cool because Psalm 119 is conveniently broken up to us in 22 different sections. Um, it, is, um, it is a very Hebrew psalm in the sense that the ways that the Hebrews would have written those things, the Jews would have written it. Uh, the first section, um, in all the verses in that section would have begun, begun and do begin with the Hebrew letter Aleph, or their A, all right? And then the next one is the, the next section of eight verses is the Hebrew letter Bet, and then Gimel, and then the rest of them that, that I can't pronounce. So... The point being is that there's 22 sections because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, all right? And those 22 sections are broken up evenly into eight verses apiece, all right? So I'm going to give you a 22-day challenge, all right? A 22-day challenge to read eight verses a day, all right? How many verses a day? Eight. Eight. Eight verses a day. That's that's, I mean, that's minimal reading, all right? And you say, I already read the Word of God. Great. Add this to it, all right? All right? Because it's not that much, all right? So read these eight verses. And then here, that's not really the challenge, okay? Because that's simple. Really, the challenge is this. I want everyone that's going to take up this challenge to find themselves a notebook, a notepad, or something, and write down one thought that is impressed upon them by reading that, verb, that, that whole section. One thought. It doesn't have to be a paragraph. It doesn't have to be a book. It can be one sentence. All right? I believe that if you'll do that, it will help you. Okay? Because I've already started, and it's already helping me. Okay? And I know that it will help you because it's the Word of God. But not only that, but you'll be doing what the Word of God says, uh, that you will be meditating on the Word. But not only that, you'll be happy because the Bible says you'll be happy. Blessed is the man, all right, that does these things. It's talking about there the very, very, the very beginning of the psalm offers two blessings at the very beginning. Happy, happy, all right. So, twenty-two days, eight verses a day, one thought, all right. Twenty-two. Eight, one. Got it? What's the three numbers? Twenty-two, eight, one. All right? So if you want to do that, and you're saying, I'm going to do that, all right, I want you to text me and tell me I'm going to do that. All right? 
say, why do I need to text you? It's called accountability, all right? If you, somebody else knows that you're saying, I'm going to do it, then you'll be more likely to do it. It's not for my sake. It's not so I can get on to you. If you don't do it, it's just so that I know that you know that you've committed to it and it makes you want to do it more. So, all right? So, everybody got the challenge? Am I clear about it? Okay, now let's do it, all right? Uh, Luke 14, we're not going to be in Psalm 119 this morning, uh, but we're going to continue our study uh, on our, of our, that we began at the beginning of the year. Uh, I don't know if you've called them to a theme yet, uh, but we have been talking about uh, reaching out to lost souls. And one of the visions that I have this year that I believe that God would want for us this year as a church is to reach more people for Christ. And that's, that's what we ought to be doing anyhow, but we're just reestablishing the vision, reestablishing the desire, reestablishing the command where Jesus says to his disciples and to all of us that are saved, go ye into all the world and what? Preach the gospel to what? Every creature, okay? We're going to see that this morning that uh, in Luke 14 that we get to the every creature part, okay? Here in just, here in just a moment. But in Luke 14, it is today's message, which I've entitled, Missing the Point. Missing the Point. And that's what is happening in Luke 14 with the Pharisees. They, are, they have missed the point of why they have been left there in this world. It's not so that they can have their own little social club. It's not so that they can have their own little laws or traditions. It's not so that they can look better than others or just uh, uh, enjoy time with family and friends. No, they have been left in this world and they've been chosen out of this world to be different, to help others in the cause of the gospel. Literally, in our case this morning, uh, we've seen that they were to be helping those that were less fortunate Instead, in Luke 14, as we looked at last week, instead of helping the man or wanting to help the man with the dropsy, with the severe case of uh, uh, with the severe case of the swelling of the legs or the swelling of the body, they chose to make a demonstration out of him, to set him aside as some kind of sideshow, to see if Jesus would heal him or not on the Sabbath day. And we looked at some things about that and how that relates to our lives and how we need to be ever so careful that we don't allow religion or we don't allow the things of this world to blur and to cloud our vision of what matters in life, and that is souls. That there's an eternal destiny for every person that is born. The reason why God has left us here after we've gotten saved is so that we can be a witness to others for Jesus Christ. That is why. Why not bring us, why not, when he saves us, why not rapture us out of here immediately? It's because we've been left here to be witnesses, to be ambassadors, to be ministers of reconciliation to the lost world that is around us. Jesus, as I mentioned, has just finished healing the man with the dropsy. He dismisses the man and, uh, Verse number four, he let him go. 
And as he dismisses him, uh, Jesus is about to teach these, these Pharisees and anybody else that's in the room some very good lessons about souls. And it should not surprise us that he does so by a parable, right? In fact, he gives three. And they're all centered around supper time, meals, feasts, and banquets. Why did Jesus choose a feast or a banquet to illustrate the point of lost souls? Because that's what he was doing right there. Jesus is the master teacher, right? And Jesus was always prone to be able to teach and be able to find things within his environment to teach other people and help people to understand the ways of God better. This was his common practice. Jesus, in each one of these three parables, is going to rebuke the smug and sinister attitude of the Pharisees for lost souls. As I said, it all plays off their treatment of this man with the dropsy who had a real physical malady, a real problem with his life. And they knew that Jesus could heal, but instead of setting him up there or bringing them him to Jesus like the four friends did with their, with their one friend and tore apart the tile roof and laid down their friends into the bank and him, they set him up as a demonstration. You see, Moses had instructed them to care for those that were less fortunate than them. The Bible teaches us in the book of Leviticus, chapter number 19, a very important point that's found in the law of Moses. Too often we constrain the law of Moses to some kind of rigid set of rules. That is, of course, not what it is because the Bible teaches us in Leviticus chapter number 19 and verse number 9, he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. God was always looking out for the poor and the stranger. He says in verse 11, You shall not steal, neither shall you deal falsely, falsely neither shall you lie one to another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. You know what that means? It means you pay your bills. Amen? And if somebody comes out and does a job for you, you don't say to him, hey, can I get to you next week? Amen? Right, Mason? You know? <laughs> if you're a business owner, you understand that. I've been with business owners a lot of times where people call you out on a job that's not necessary. You know, it's not like their water heater is spewing out water across the river, but there's just a, a maybe a remodel that they want to do. You finish the remodel and they say, oh, let me get back, let me pay you back, pay you here in a couple weeks. Yeah. You know, that's wrong. Now, if you're, uh, if you're not saved, I understand that. But if you're a Christian, you should never do that. You shall do no unrighteousness and judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thy heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor, any, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am 
the Lord. So God has a lot to say in his Old Testament. There's more. That's just a sampling of loving others, taking care of others, helping others. Obviously, these men were not prone to such activity. Isaiah and Jeremiah condemned the children of Israel for not doing the same thing. So the preaching is not new, but rather is something that has been around for quite some time. And I want to help us to change, to be better soul winners, to be better witnesses, to be better ministers of reconciliation. And I believe these three parables point that out on how we can do that. Number one is that we learn that we need to be less concerned about prestige and more concerned about people. That's one way. Is that we not only need to care for the well-known, but we also need to care for the unknown. And then thirdly, is that we need to compel the lost to come in. Jesus, in our message this morning, is teaching the Pharisees that they've missed the point. And I pray by the end of the message that we won't miss it either. We'll follow through on what Jesus says to do. Remember, these are not my words, but these are the words of Christ. And may we follow them, for we are Christians. And if you're not saved today, then I compel you, I urge you, Come into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ the Lord. Don't wait, but be saved. Luke 14, verse number 7, let's begin here on our first parable. And he put forth a parable to those that were bidden, when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit in the lowest room, that when that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship, or the idea is praise, in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, let me just point this out real quick before we get into this parable. Jesus is not setting up some, he's not trying to set up some way of manipulation for you to look better in front of other people, okay? That's not the point of what Jesus' parable here is, his teaching here. Yes, okay? Jesus is simply letting them know that as he can see things transpiring in the room that's in front of him, and as he has seen throughout his ministry and his life, that the people that he has been around, these Jewish folks, have been more concerned about prestige than power. More concerned at sitting at the head of the table than at the foot of the table. More concerned about what do I look like in society than whether or not society is saved. Jesus is about to lay down the law and it's fixing to get a little chilly in the room. You know, I hope everybody's got their mashed potatoes and steak eat because it's about to get cold. And Jesus is going to lay it out for us today. And it must have been a big crowd in the room because the Bible teaches us that the room was filled. The place was filled that day. And I don't know who was all there, but the Bible says in verse number one that the chief Pharisees were there. No doubt his disciples were there. No doubt the people that were cooking 
the meal were there. There was a great host of people that were in the room there that morning, and they were listening to what Jesus had to say. And he notices these Pharisees who were prone to go ahead and take the best seat in the house instead of sitting down at the lower seat. Jesus is about to meet them at their own game. Because if you're familiar with a little bit of the Bible, maybe especially the book of Proverbs, you'll notice that this, what Jesus is saying, comes right out of the book of Proverbs. Jesus is really turning the the game on them because he is quoting the law to them. They were trying to catch him in the law. And what does Jesus do? He puts the word on them. He says to them, in effect, what Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7 says, Put not thy forth forth thyself in the presence of the king and stand not in the place of great men for it is better to be said unto thee come up hither than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen and who is the prince Jesus didn't finish that out but I believe the connotation is quickly made and understand that the prince is Jesus the prince is Jesus he's the prince of peace and his eyes have seen them and I've pointed them out and I've marked them and I've made sure that they understand that what they have done and what they are doing is wrong. They put their own power and prestige and self-acclamation above the needs of the people. What is Jesus basically saying? Well, basically he's saying this. If you get asked to a wedding or a feast, Don't try to wedge yourself into the best seat in the house. Everybody wants to be seen, but that's not the way you're supposed to do it. I've been on a stage before in front of thousands of people. I'd always thought I wanted to be on a stage, but when I got there, the situation was quite unique for me. Because when you get in front of a stage like that, in front of thousands of people, you notice something very unusual is that as before that you could see the person on the stage but when you're on the stage and the lights are on you you can't see anybody you can't see anybody everybody could see me but I could not see anybody the lights were too bright the platform was too far away the audience was too dark and the spotlight was too big at the particular auditorium where I was at, they even broadcasted a video screen of yourself on the behind you. And I looked around and there it was, but it was the back of my head, you know. Everybody could see me, but I couldn't see anybody else. You know, that's a lot like whenever we place prestige and power over people. Everybody can see me, but I can't see anybody. It's all about me and it's not about everybody else. It's not about, it's not about the lost anymore and it's not about helping others. It's not about reaching out. It's not about providing for somebody else. No, it all comes back to me. And we forget the great verse of Luke two, or excuse me, Philippians 2.4 that says what? Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That verse is not a condemnation of helping yourself out or providing for yourself. No, the verse is really an acclamation to do that. It is saying, look not every, don't just look at your own stuff, but help others in their stuff too. But Jesus is making a greater point here. Jesus is telling his these folks here that they had chosen the chief spots 
in the room that day. But Jesus had chosen to honor the man that was the least in the room that day. The man with the dropsy. He was the most abased. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. And you know what? These guys right now are getting abased. Alright? You ever got a good tongue lashing? That's getting abased. Alright? That's getting humble. Anybody ever had to eat humble pie before? Amen? I've had to eat some humble pie. That's not fun. That's getting abased. That's getting put down. But the man that was abased, the man with a condition, the man with a physical malady, he's getting exalted. He's getting lifted up. And so it should be with us. We should set others before ourselves. We should take care of the needs of others before ourselves. We should care for the salvation of the needs of others at the expense and the price of even maybe our own money, our own wisdom, or excuse me, our own, our, own, uh, our own finances, our own strength. We should put the needs of others, the salvation of others before us. Acts 15, 26 says this. It says that men that, ha- that, that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.30 says that Epaphras, or excuse me, Epaphroditus was because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service to me. How are we in this department? What do we put more priority on? People knowing us or us knowing others and helping others, reaching out to others. That's the first point. The second point is this, is that they cared for the well-known, but they did not care for the unknown. And that's where we've got to be careful at. This is a great point here for us. The reason why Jesus left us here on the earth is to minister to the lost souls of this world. And we do that by not putting prestige over people, but we also do it by not putting the, by, by caring for the well-known, but not forgetting the unknown. Jesus says in chapter number 14 and verse number 12, notice what it says. And then he also said unto them, and then he also said to him that bade him, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, now, okay, get the, get the picture here, okay? The, the scene was to everybody, like a group like this, okay? All right? And these girls up here, they had made themselves the best seat in the house. I mean, they're up here, you know, front seat, you know, for a Baptist is the back seat, uh, best seat in the house. And, uh, but James got back there. So, uh, uh, but they had, made them, they had set themselves up, and oh, I mean, he was preaching to them all, you know. But then in verse number 12, it says, Then said he to him that bade him. Now, can you imagine everybody in the room getting preached to, and then all of a sudden, uh, I look right at Luke and I say, Okay, Luke, now this is for you, all right? You know? Everybody else goes, Ooh, you know? <laughs> what in the world? Now Luke's really getting it, you know? Caring for the well-known, but not for the unknown. He says, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, man, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made thee. Now, there also needs to be a clearance there. Make sure that he's not saying, don't ever have dinner with your family, okay? That's not the point. The point is this, is that that's all you ever have dinner with. 
You only have dinner with the well-known. You only have dinner with people that you know, your friends, your brother, and your kinsmen. You have, you have dinner with the rich. You have dinner with those that can pay you back. That's what he's telling the Pharisees here. And the situation is even more aggravating. Well, I've been here getting ahead of myself. Verse 13 says, But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For thou can, they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Jesus is making a great point here to them. He is condemning the practice that they were all having, and that is this, is that they cared for the well-known, but they had forgotten the unknown. Jesus is letting them know that even this situation that they're having here is even more aggravated. I believe it's even more complicated. Because, understand, they were on the Sabbath day and they had just left synagogue where, guess what, at synagogue, you don't just got the rich at synagogue. I mean, one account that I read in the Gospels in the synagogue, there was a man with a demon in it. Alright? I'm sure the man with the dropsy was at the synagogue that day. <laughs> if you were a Jew, you were at synagogue. Okay? That's where you were at. So the situation is even more aggravated and complicated because he's telling them, hey guys, you guys were just at synagogue with everybody else in town and every single Sabbath day you just meet together with the well-known and with those that people that you like, with the people that you know, with the people that can help you, but you never help anybody else. Be careful with that. Be careful how we extend invitations to others. Be careful that we don't just get clickish, that we don't that life does not just become about my family and my friends. It doesn't just become about people that I know, people that are in my group. Reach out to the poor, the maimed, the lame and the blind. Invite them into the feast. When we come to church, we're not just with family and friends, we're with a lot of other people. That we don't know, perhaps on a personal level, we don't know their testimony, how they got saved. Jesus is saying that, you say, Jesus even lets it, gives a, a reward here, doesn't he? He says, if you invite those, he says, you're not going to get paid back on earth. He says, but you'll get recompense in the resurrection of the just. That'd be great, wouldn't it? We should be meeting the needs of others. People that are poor, people that are struggling. What a better way to do this to maybe even a family that uh, doesn't know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Inviting them over for a meal, showing hospitality. Romans 12, 13 says, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, without going, uh, without grudging. Who's the last person that you had over the house that couldn't pay you back? Who was somebody you had over that you said wasn't a family or a friend? Whenever we care more about the well-known and don't care about the unknown, we become like the Pharisees and we miss the point of why we've been left here. 
to help others in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, compel the lost to come in. Look at verse number 15. And one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things and said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. It just sounds like a Pharisee that said that. I don't know who it was, but you know. Jesus says something about the resurrection of the just. You know, and these Pharisees, some Pharisee got, you know, kind of excited about that because he believes in the resurrection, you know. And, well, you know, well we're going to eat in the kingdom of God one day, you know. Jesus turns that thing on its head and he says, A certain man made a great supper and bade many sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must needs go see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Okay, let's just go ahead and just throw this out here. All three of these excuses are poor excuses. They're lame, all right? You say, why is that? Because this is a great supper that was being made. It says in verse 16, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. All right, the word bade there is an invitation. RSVP has already been sent out, all right? Everybody knows about the supper, okay? They've already checked, I'm coming on Facebook, all right? They've already, done, you know, they checked in already, okay? Now they're coming back out for a Another invitation to say, are you coming? It's time for the supper. Okay? These guys have already said they're coming, but all of a sudden, oh, well, I've got some yoke of oxen to plow. I've got ten oaks of oxen. Well, that's ridiculous because the supper is at night. It's in the evening time. It's supper time. Okay? It's not lunch time. You don't do that at night. It doesn't matter if you had your wife, you just got married. That doesn't matter. Why doesn't that matter? Because you're just eating supper. Alright? And even that is that just, just going to blow your mind here for a second, okay? The women didn't eat at the supper, okay? It was just the men that were eating, okay? That was a cultural thing, alright? There was no women invited. It was just men eating. So your wife's not even involved with the thing. Wife has nothing to do with it. Okay? It's just you. Then the other excuse is I bought a piece of ground. Well, in Jewish days, that would have taken a very long time. And plus, you can go see your piece of property anytime you want to. It's going to be there after supper's done, okay? <coughs> These excuses are bad excuses. And so he says in verse 21, So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out in the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now, real quickly, who are all these people? Well, the people that are given excuses are the Pharisees. The people that are the lame, the blame, the blind, the, the people that are the highways and the hedges, that's the prostitutes, that's the harlots, that's the publicans, that's the Zacchaeuses, okay? That's the Gentiles, that's who that is. The Samaritans, 
And who are the servants? Or who's the Lord? That's God. And who's the servants? That's you and me that are saved. Simple parable. And Jesus is telling them that they need to compel the lost to come in. The Pharisees had rejected the invitation. Jesus had been preaching to them for some time now, and they had said, no, no, no. Instead, they had set him up, and they had tried to catch him in traps. The harlots and the publicans were the ones that were coming to him. The Gentiles were the ones that were coming into the kingdom. In fact, Jesus even remarks in Matthew 8, 11, these words, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into utter darkness, darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here is where the point gets real serious and even more piercing. This man shouts out in verse 15, Blessed is he that shall eat in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus goes on to tell a parable about the kingdom of God and who's going to be at eating at the feast. And the question that's left for all of us to ponder is this, am I going to be eaten in the kingdom of God? Are you going to be eating there in the kingdom of God? The piercing question becomes even more when you think about it this way. If I have no care, no compassion, no love for the lost personally, if I'm repulsed by the idea of having somebody that's less educated, less affluent, less prosperous in my house, am I saved? Am I a believer? If I'm so concerned about my status in life and, my, and I never take a care or time to ever tell anybody about Jesus, I never do anything to try to help somebody know the Lord, then am I saved? Am I going to be in the kingdom of God? That's where this whole thing is going for Jesus. Putting forth excuses. Say, I used to have that fire, but it's kind of burned out a little bit. We're trying to light the candle again today, amen? A smoking flax Jesus will not put out. Amen? Praise God for that. Your your light might be a little weak right now, but Jesus wants to turn up the dimmer switch today. Okay? We've all had times in our life when we haven't been the best witnesses that we should be. But we need to find ourselves being the witnesses that we can be and should be. But if we stay putting prestige over people, if we are more concerned about the well-known than the unknown, if we're not willing to compel the walls to come in, then what kind of Christian really am I? That's just the question we ask ourselves. If we are Christians, then we would have to admit if I'm not doing any, if I'm doing, if I'm doing these things, then I'm not a very good Christian. I should be a better Christian. And I should be a better servant. 
These parables are not just about being more hospitable people, though I believe that is a key point to it all. But it's about filling up the empty seats that are left in the kingdom of God. There's still some empty seats around the supper table in heaven right now. There's still a few empty seats left, folks. And it's time for us to compel the lost to come in. Say, come in. Urge them. Tell them. That means you're going to tell some people that are not going to listen to you. Like the Pharisees. But you're going to tell some people that are going to listen to you. Amen? Like the publicans and the sinners. Praise God. Even some homosexuals took the tracks. Amen? Amen. We're supposed to be witnessing to all kinds of sinners. Amen? Every creature. It doesn't matter what you've done in life or who somebody been. Don't you ever look down on a sinner and condemn them, my friend. Don't you do that. If you do that, you are a Pharisee to the hill. That's right. Don't look down on somebody because they're a sinner. They're a sinner because they are in the grasp of Satan. That's why. Okay? They are a child of the devil. And they need to be brought into the child of the light. The children of the kingdom. Are we children of the kingdom? We had some JWs come by the other day. They wanted to talk about the kingdom of heaven. I'll tell you what. I wasn't there. My wife was there. I'd have told them where the kingdom. I told, I told them I'm in the kingdom of heaven, man. Amen. I'm, I'm in there. Are you? There's a table left over for you. If you renounce that false doctrine and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Listen, I'll tell you what. There are room at the table for you, my friend. Are you lost here this morning? Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Then I compel you. Come in. There's room at the table for you. There's room at the table. There's been some seats that have been left open. And you can come in and be seated. And be saved. Are you compelling? Are you asking? Are you talking to people? Are you witnessing to people? Let us be careful that we don't put our thoughts of power, prestige, notoriety over the needs of others. Let us not let us be concerned for the well-known, for our family and friends, but let us also have a care and a compassion for the unknown. And then let us compel the lost to come in to the kingdom of God. Don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. Jesus has been clear with us. Let us follow the words of Christ. Father, we're thankful for your word and we ask that.